11.55, almost midnight. Enough time for one more story. One more story before 12. Just to keep us warm. Welcome to the Mad Dad Movie Review, a podcast full of first-time movie reviews starring Mads and her dad. I'm Mads. And I'm her dad. And this is Mad Dad Movie Review. Hey guys, welcome to the show. This is Ed, we're the dad, and in case you didn't check our Facebook post late last week, for the next couple weeks, Madeline's going to be sitting out the podcast, so it's just going to be me hosting, uh, pretty much solo. Um, like I mentioned on the, the, the post, it's just a personal matter we're not going to get into it it's nothing permanent it's just for a couple weeks or a handful of episodes because i plan on churning out a bunch myself i mean i figured why not if i if i'm doing it by myself anyway let's just do this you know um and so that's gonna be me for the next couple weeks and that's it after that she'll be back everything will be a-okay, and it'll be like nothing even changed. So in the meantime, it's just me. Let's do this. I mean, hope you guys have been doing great. I've been doing pretty well myself. Just uh, had a fantastic weekend. And i uh, pretty excited about this one, this, this week's episode, because I'm going to be covering The Fog. Uh, not only is it one of my personal all-time favorite horror films, this also happens to be the film's 40th anniversary. So kind of wanted to take advantage of that. And that's another reason why it was added to this year's um, Halloween Horrorthon, which we are just strolling on through with. And I'm looking forward to a couple of the titles up ahead. Now, again, we initially announced a batch of about 12, 13 episodes. Uh, now, with the way things have changed for the next couple of weeks, and with me in charge, I do plan on putting out a couple of other titles, not to replace ones that were announced, but pretty much in addition to now. So we're going to be getting more episodes for the, the Halloween Hearthon, which, I don't know, if you've been a fan of what you've heard so far then you're either excited or you're not hopefully you are anyway that being said let's get down to the nitty-gritty so let's get down to the nitty-gritty all right so the fog was released february 1st 1980 from avco embassy pictures this film not gonna lie could not find any box office info anywhere except for what it ended up making in the end, which was $21.3 million on a budget of $1.1 million, <clears throat> plus 
three million in marketing, which is an absurd amount. That's almost three times the budget. I, I don't know. I, I I just don't understand it. But it, it it paid off because this film made pretty good money for the budget it was given. Um, so yeah, the crew for this picture. It is directed by John Carpenter, produced by Deborah Hill, written for the screen by John Carpenter and Deborah Hill, music by John Carpenter, edited by Charles Borenstein and Tommy Lee Wallace, and cinematography by the great Dean Cundey. Take a look at the players involved in this. We got Adrian Barrow as Stephen Wayne, Stevie Wayne, sorry, Tom Atkins as Nick Castle, Jamie Lee Curtis as Elizabeth. Hal Holbrook as Father Malone, Janet Lee as Kathy Williams, Nancy Loomis as Sandy, Charles Cyphers as Dan O'Bannon, John Carpenter as Bennett, and Rob Botin as Blake. So, Matt is, is not here. So, this is the part where she gives off her first impressions. So... Before I go into why I love this film, I guess I will give off my first impressions on this. Um, this was essentially a film that... This is what I consider a nightmare theater film. And in case you have no idea what I'm talking about, growing up on Channel 54 on Saturday afternoons at 2 o'clock, there was a two-hour block called Nightmare Theater. From 2 to 4, they showed just different genre horror films every week. And The Fog, I guess, looking back in hindsight, Carpenter in general was a big staple of that because I know Halloween was on there a lot. This was definitely on there a lot because the majority of my childhood you know, memories watching this was on that program on Saturday afternoons at my grandparents' house or across the street at my best friend Corey's house. And then as I got older, um, I know eight. Back in 2002, a special edition DVD of this came out, and for the first time ever, I owned it when I bought that. So I watched that a handful of times back then, and then kind of didn't really revisit it for a handful of years. It wasn't until Scream Factory, I guess, put out their Blu-ray uh, about seven, eight years ago. Um, no, seven years ago. And yeah, and here we are now, and it is... Definitely, I mean, spoiler alert, because I know me and Madeline have a um, top 10 coming up, which has not been canceled, just so you guys know, speaking of that top 10, that normally this would be the top 10 since it's the 10th episode, but for obvious reasons, we're going to postpone that, but we're still doing it. It's going to be top 10 horror films, and like I said, spoiler alert, The Fog is going to be somewhere on that list, because it is definitely one of my all-time favorites. So why do I love this film? Because it's old school horror involving legends and ghosts. I love it because of Dean Cundey's all time cinematography. I love this film because it's almost midnight and enough time for one more story. I love it because of K.A.B. Antonio Bay and the sounds of Stevie Wayne. I love this film because yes, it is weird. I love it because of all the bad signs. I love this film because it was always a nightmare theater regular on Channel 54 Saturday afternoons. I love this film because pirates are badass ghosts. I love this film because Rob Bottin is a legend. I love this film because the third act is just as intense today as it was back in 1980. 
I love this film because of Carpenter's beautiful and eerily intense score. I love this film because of that final shot with Blake and Malone. I love this film because of the way Tom Atkins offers Jamie Lee Curtis his beer saying, Sip. I love it because six must die. And finally, I love this film because... I don't know what happened happened to Antonio Bay tonight. tonight. Something came out of the fog and tried to destroy us. In one moment, it vanished. But if this has been anything but a nightmare, and if we don't wake up to find ourselves safe in our beds, it could come again. To the ships at sea who can hear my voice, look across the water into the darkness. Look for the fog. Okay, so let's go over to the critics' corner. The Fog currently has a Rotten Tomato score of 74% from 66 reviews. It's got a Metacritic Metascore of 55 from 11 reviews and a Letterboxd score of 3.5 stars out of 5. The the (laughs) The Fog initially received mixed reviews when it first came out. Since then, it's received more of a welcome a more welcome positive review standpoint and it's become somewhat of a cult classic carpenter considers the fog quote a minor horror classic end quote but it's not his favorite film due to the reshoots and low production values this is why he agreed on that 2005 remake that and of course money um the general consensus reads quote a well-crafted return to horror for genre giant john carpenter the fog rolls in and wraps viewers in suitably low-building chills, end quote. Roger Ebert gave the film two stars, saying, This isn't a great movie, but it does show great promise from Carpenter. Ed Gonzalez from Slant Magazine gave it three and a half stars out of four, saying, Carpenter's use of 235 anamorphic widescreen is beyond legendary, and his compositions evoke a town that may as well be the last remaining one on the face of this earth. Chris Justice from ClassicHorror.com said, The music is also classic Carpenter, and although the composer actually scrapped his original score and rewrote it to better match the film's vibe, Viewers benefit greatly from this acute sense of rhythm, composition, and tone. End quote. In the early 2000s, Time Out magazine conducted a poll of over 100 authors, directors, actors, and critics who have worked within the horror genre to vote for their top horror films. The Fog landed on that list at number 77 on that top 100 list, which is uh, pretty good. Like I said, this film is, uh, it's, uh, I'm going to talk about everything I need to talk about before this is all said and done, because there's a lot of backstory, you know, that goes into how it was made and why it was made and certain people. I mean, there are things I want to talk about, like. I mean, character names. There's a few names in here that are named after real people in real life, and it's 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 a pretty cool, touching, you know, little shout-out, homage, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I, I like it, and, you know, we'll, we'll get into that. So, touching on the origins first, 
After the massive independent success of Halloween in 1978, Carpenter was approached by Bob Remy from Avco Embassy about doing a two-picture deal. Carpenter agreed, second film being Escape from New York. And then, so the idea to do The Fog came from a trip to see the Stonehenge with his then-girlfriend, Deborah Hill. John saw a fog bank in the distance and got curious as to what was inside. So that was the first part. And then Hill, she wanted the film, the story, to center around vengeance. So she's quoted saying, when we started writing it, we went back to the thing of revenge. I think ghosts exist because there's something about their death that keeps them going and keeps them sort of in an, an altered universe. And most of the time, they come back for revenge. Uh, at the time, Carpenter and Hill were together, and then they had a very amicable, amicable breakup. Uh, I know it crushed Jamie Lee Curtis. She's referred to, or she's been quoted saying that she was like their movie daughter. And so it crushed her. And she's also in this movie as well. Um, and to add on to everything, the film's lead, Adrian Barbo. Adrian Barbo was married to John Carpenter at this time. They started dating and got married awfully quick. It is what it is. Who am I to judge? Um, so because of that, obviously, she got the cast. She got casted as the lead in this, Stevie Wayne. And that's not a knock. That is not a knock whatsoever. I think her role altogether, the whole package, is iconic for the genre. It's legendary. It's a lot of things. I, I No disrespect at all to Mrs. Barbo because... She knocks it out of the park in this film. I love it to death. So this was also her first, her feature film debut. Now, she had been in lots of work prior to this, but never before was she in a major motion picture that was released on the big screen. Um, I know she was in a Carpenter television film, Someone's Watching Me, but again, wasn't a big screen film. This was, as far as... Uh, Big screen adaptations from things, or you know, just big screen movies in general. This was her first. Um, Tom Atkins, he was cast because he was merely just a friend of Barbro's at the time, so he got casted as the role of Nick Castle. Um, more on that name in a minute. Elizabeth, the character Elizabeth, was written for Jamie Lee Curtis, so that's how she got that role because. Carpenter obviously wanted to work with her again after Halloween. Um, in fact, the majority of the, the crew in this movie, and a lot of the cast too, are carried over from Halloween. Um, Carpenter also, he always wanted to work with Janet Lee ever since he saw uh, the Vikings. And, uh, you know, Jamie Lee, her mother, she became involved. She read the script. She liked the story. She met with Carpenter, she said, and liked everything that he had to tell her. So she was cast in the film. And then uh, Charles Cyphers, um, he gets cast as Dan O'Bannon. We'll just talk about the name Dan O'Bannon. So Dan O'Bannon, in case you don't know, is a famous um, 
Hollywood horror sci-fi writer. He's a genre legend, unfortunately no longer with us. He wrote a lot of things, including um, the original Alien. Um, he directed Return of the Living Dead. Um, he didn't direct much. He was more known for his writing. Um, did a ton of work in, in the horror community. Um, and so Carpenter, to pay tribute or homage to him, named the Charles Cipher's Weatherman Dan character after him. Um, and also Tommy Lee Wallace, he was, um, he's the editor, in fact, of this film and as well as Halloween. And he was pretty much a jack of all trades on the set of Halloween. Um, cause he's also involved with, uh, makeup and behind the scenes and whatnot. So he's not in this, but George Buck flower, uh, plays a character named him, Tommy Wallace. Um, he's one of the three uh, fishermen in the beginning who get killed uh, by the pirates. Um, and then circling back to that Nick Castle name from the actor Tom Atkins, who he plays, that is the original Michael Myers from part one of Halloween. Nick Castle, uh, a, a college classmate of John Carpenter and close friend. And also, as well as Tommy Wallace, the three of them are in the Coupe de Ville's. So, yeah, Nick Castle, um, like I said, is one of Carpenter's dearest friends, and so he named the character of this in this film after him. Nick Castle, of course, went on to direct The Last Starfighter, uh, Dennis the Menace. Um, he wrote uh, August Rush, I believe. Um, hasn't really been doing that much work now, as much as back then. Now he's pretty much a regular in the... Uh, convention circuit so good for him though uh, i see him a lot uh pop up um when interviews and whatnot i know more recently he did a two-part interview with christopher nelson and sean clark on the thing of two heads podcast a great guy super nice uh i've never personally met him but he, he definitely up there as you know not a bucket list per se, but he's up there on my list of people who I, I have to meet. And I know eventually I will. It's just a matter of, you know, when. And obviously you can't meet him right now because there's not too many conventions going on. So, you know, that is that. Um, so dive into this movie. I guess we'll start with the first thing that you see when the movie starts is that's in, it's a quote. This is one of them films that start with a quote. And who is this quote from? None other than Baltimore local legend Edgar Allan Poe. And this was Deborah Hill's idea, actually, for this uh, quote to be inserted. The quote is the final lines from uh, Poe's Dream Within a Dream poem, and that is, is all that we see or seem but a dream within a dream. And I think it's, you know, it's, it's, I love that touch. It's, it's great. Um, I, I wish I could tie more into that. Personally, I'm, I, I, I don't know too much more. Um, I've done a lot of research for this episode. I've done my homework, but not a lot being said about this quote, what it means, how it ties into the film. I, I'm not intelligent enough to or sophisticated enough to be able to tell personally. And all I got out of Deborah Hill um, is, is my idea. So big Poe fan. So yeah, cool. So that's that. Um, 
Originally budgeted at 900000 After completing the film and watching the first cut, Carpenter didn't it like it. it was Many terrible. reasons why. Didn't think it was scary enough. This, that, just being his own, you know, critic, because that's how filmmakers are. Even me, at doing the podcast. Um, I, right now, I just... I'm sure if I listen back to this episode, I'll have a million things to critique myself about, but... It is what it is. Um, but one of the things is that he felt it was too short. Clocking it at only 80, million, 80 minutes, which, yeah, an hour and 20 minutes, probably about more, more or less an hour and 15, closer to that after the, the credits and whatnot. Yeah, he thought it was short. So he went back for more money to Avco, and because of the success of Cronenberg's The Brood a year prior, um... Avco gave John and Deborah an extra two hundred grand to uh, do reshoots, give the film more gore. I mean, not so much gore, but <clears throat> what they added, they the whole entire opening prologue with uh, Mister Mock and Ghost Story with the kids, that was all filmed. That even after that, we followed that the paranormal stuff, going through the town after midnight. That was all added, um, and the reshoots after the first cut also basically anything any shot that was a close-up shot anything you see throughout the movie was with that was a close-up shot that was a reshoot the scene with jamie lee curtis and the morgue and the walking corpse uh you know slowly approaching her from behind that was added and finally the the entire finale with adrian barbo on top of the lighthouse all of that stuff was added and hey, um, personally, I'm glad. Um, a lot of the stuff I'm looking at here, just definitely. I mean, the Barbo scene. I'll talk about that more later. I'll touch more on that. But um, yeah. So I had to bring up Jamie Lee Curtis now. Jamie Lee Curtis and her character Elizabeth. So of course, you know, you see the marketing and everything, and it's center around Jamie Lee Curtis and her character. I mean, the freaking one sheet for the movie is her holding the door and, and, and the pirate ghost from the fog trying to get in from the other side. All centered on her, but she is not the main character. The Elizabeth character is solely just, she's a secondary character. Adrian Barbo is the character. Stevie, Stevie Wayne, she is the main character of this movie. Um... Shout out to the Scream Factory. At least their revised artwork has Barbo's character, Stevie Wayne, front and center with the other characters kind of like background-ish. Um, but yeah, Jamie Lee, and even she was went on, you know, she did this more or less because John wanted, she wasn't getting work after Halloween. She was talking about after Halloween. Jamie Lee Curtis went on to follow up Halloween with an episode of Charlie's Angels and then she did an episode of The Love Boat with her mom and wasn't doing anything for a couple years she said until John Carpenter gave her a call one day and said hey I'm doing this movie The Fog and I got this character for you and she she's, she's said I'll take it and then she talk, talk, talks about after that she kind of went on to be, she kind of ruled the early 80s, you know. She started off with Halloween in 78, 
Two years later, she did The Fog in 1980. Well, early 1980, The Fog came out. And then later on in 1980, she did Terror Train. And then after that uh, was Prom Night, I believe the same year as well. But all this stuff came after The Fog because she was very strict about that. She, she made it very known on her interview on the Scream Factory bonus feature that she did The Fog first. And then she went on to do Terror Train and... Um, prom night up in Canada um, like a Canadian bypass law she was talking about like only two Americans can work on these movies and she was one of the two and after that she did um, Halloween 2 the following year kind of as a thank you to the fans for embracing her and making her who she was you know it, Pretty much, if it weren't for the fans, she wouldn't be the, the, the horror genre scream queen she was known for back then. And then after Halloween 2, she did um, a little quiet Australian thriller called uh, Road Games with uh, <clears throat> either James or Stacey Keach, one of those two. And that was it. After that, she stopped doing horror, didn't even talk about horror anymore in interviews. She kind of like steered clear, uh, steered away from the horror genre for a long time. Kind of turned her back, not going to lie. And even she admits that, you know, she just didn't get it. And hey, opportunity knocks. I get it personally. She went on and started with the John Landis film in 83, uh, Trading Places, and then went on from there. And she had a hell of a run early 80s even in the 90s you know jamie lee curtis she does what she wants to do you know she's she kind of she's a no-nonsense cause it as it sees it kind of person and you can get that vibe from interviews and there's this incredible documentary on you can look it up on youtube but it's also a special bonus feature on the uh, scream factory deluxe halloween box set it's a documentary that Jamie Lee Curtis's sister Kelly filmed with her her brother, no, with her sister Kelly's husband, Jamie Lee Curtis's brother-in-law. They filmed a documentary about Jamie Lee Curtis's one and only horror convention back at Horror Hound Indianapolis in 2012. Jamie Lee Curtis does not do horror conventions. She's been asked many times, does not get it, didn't want to do it, but then... This opportunity came up with these masks, apparently, for the Halloween. She wanted to get in touch with the whole entire first original crew to sign these masks so she could, she could auction them off from the Children's Hospital in L.A., which she's really hardcore into. And I love, it's one of the many things I love about Jamie Lee is how dedicated she is for this, this um, Children's Hospital charity. And um, this is one of the many reasons why she's just so damn cool and amazing. And so she got in touch with Sean Clark, um, who, if you don't know who Sean Clark is, he does a show on a lot of Scream Factory Blu-rays called um, Horror's, Horror's Hollow Grounds. Horror, shoot. Horror's Hollow Grounds. Yeah. Excuse me. Getting a little tongue-tied there. And... He also, like I mentioned earlier, he uh, co-hosts a podcast on YouTube called The Thing of Two Heads. Look it up. Um, his account is Malfunction, S-E-A-N. And 
Yeah, so he what he actually does in real life is he books celebrities for conventions. And so everyone told Jimmy Lee to get in touch with this Sean Clark guy because he would be able to get her in touch with all the people from the original film. So she called him personally after getting his number from Tommy Lee Wallace, and they sparked a conversation, and midway through, she kind of let her guard down a little bit, and Sean grabbed that opportunity by the balls and went in for it and got her to, instead of doing the five, she still went, you know, she still went on to do the five masks, auction them off, but they did it in a way where she also did the one and only appearance for this convention. She did her signings and everything for the whole weekend, and every penny that she raised from autographs and and pictures and whatnot, she donated. And it was so cool because all that is also featured in this documentary because there's also people, um, a lot of the actors who were there and stuff from like the the Halloween franchise, some of the people came up and like, gave their guarantees that they made from the convention to Jamie Lee for, you know, for the children's hospital. And it was just so cool how much they raised. I think it was like, don't quote me. I want to say it was like a little bit over a million dollars that she raised, maybe a little bit less. I don't know. It was a lot of money though. So yeah, I I was getting a little sidetracked there. Sorry. It's just, it's just so cool. So, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah. Um, I don't even know where to go from here. Um, so let's talk about Dean Cundy then, his cinematography. So like I mentioned earlier, the film was shot in anamorphic 235 format, um, widescreen, of course, uh, preventing it from looking like a low-budget horror film. Um, the, with this film, Halloween was more about indoors, kind of more claustrophobic feel, Whereas this movie is more outside, dealing with nature. There's a lot of wide um, beach shots, especially the opening shot of the movie, which is so gorgeous along the beach, the shoreline. And there's just a lot of outdoor open shots. Um, Going into the church is another example of just just what Dean Cundy does, how he utilizes that anamorphic widescreen 235 lens. It's just... He's genius. That's why he's one of the best. One of the best. Um, production went on for thirty days throughout Inverness, throughout California, um, primarily around like areas like Inverness um, and Bodega Bay, which was from the birds. A lot of the same places um, along that shoreline. If it looks familiar, if you're a Hitchcock fan, it is. And of course, that's Carpenter paying homage to his legend, his you know favorite directors, and there's nothing wrong with that. I love seeing stuff like that. So Dean wanted to expand on the fog and treat it as its own character using various techniques. Uh, some of those included shooting scenes in reverse with the characters having them act out in reverse for the fog um, to, to to control it more. Um, having people, the crew, walking around before they start shooting with actual fog machines, blasting fog around the area, and using a like a black stage, um, like a shoot-in. What he would do is he would take the film, they would shoot just 
you know, fogless uh, shots outside. And what they would do is take the film and they would cut out um, like a shoot-in thing. It's, it's it's hard for me to explain it. Um, I might just drop in a soundbite from the documentary I was talking about where I, I was watching it. And Dean Cundey, obviously the man who was behind it, explains it a hell of a lot better than me. And so, um, yeah, so dropping that in right yeah. We needed wide shots that showed the fog consciously moving through town and around buildings and down streets and so forth. We developed a, a technique where we would photograph the city streets and the wide shots of the town. And then we would, on a stage completely blacked in, we would build a black um, sort of form or shape that replicated the buildings. And then we would photograph the stage uh, backlit with with light to bring out the fog that we would then shoot in and we would use uh, carbon dioxide fog uh, dry ice essentially so it was very low and dense and would creep and it would move around these black shapes and that corresponded to the buildings that we had photographed previously so what we got was a fog that would react to these large buildings but move in a flowing motion seemingly with purpose and just the, the visual storytelling all throughout this movie, um, again, harpens back to what I was talking about with the the wide shoreline shots and the church and everything. It's it's when you're using, you got to be careful because if you know, like filmmakers are all sent out there, and a lot of them are using this widescreen lens and they don't even know how to utilize it, like. Cundy says in the documentary I was watching, one of the many I was watching, you know, filmmakers, uh, cinematographers, if they don't know how to utilize a widescreen, uh, utilize a close-up shot with widescreen, then they're doing it wrong. They don't know how to shoot movies because it's the truth. It's it's. Listen to me. It's the truth. No, I'm not gonna bullshit you. I I I don't know a thing about cinematography. I just know it's one of my favorite things to look at in movies so guess we'll talk about this remake now 15 years ago 2005 deborah hill um i believe it was the last thing she did prior to her passing produced a remake of the fog that john carpenter gave his blessing for it's not a good movie and that's just not coming from me. There's a lot of people. I mean, the overall consensus of this movie is that it's trash. Because it is. It 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 tries to take a story that is already perfect in its own sense and really update it and add on to it. And what they bring to it that's new, I mean, I'm all for trying out something different, but what they do is pretty much incorporate this twist that it doesn't work for me for a lot of reasons. Um, basically, in this movie, I mean, it, it, if, if you didn't know about the remake, it's got Tom Welling as Nick Castle, uh, Selma Blair as Stevie Wayne, and... Uh, Maggie Grace, I believe her name is, plays Elizabeth. And the twist at the end that um, Elizabeth, the original Jamie Lee Curtis, played her. And the original Elizabeth is just her name. 
it, they don't it's it's in no way shape or form tied into the Elizabeth that the ship was named of uh, Blake and his crew that the shipwreck in 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 the story it has nothing to do with the Jamie Lee Curtis Elizabeth character whereas in the remake yeah, they had to tie that together. They had to, and it, in the end, it didn't pay off. It, it was bullshit. It, it it made it left more grunts than Oz, and it's just not good. This the, the everything's a CG. Just it's lazy. I'm sorry if you just if you can't put the effort in like the whole crew did in the '80s. It's just lazy. Just sitting there at a computer. You know, and I'm sure that, that that stuff's difficult in its own right, but I mean, I'm sorry. I'm 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 a sucker for practical effects, you know, I'm a cinephile like that. And there's a lot of people who are like that as well. You know, a lot more people appreciate the practical stuff rather than all this current computer stuff. And I'm not going to turn this into the whole cg you know get off my lawn bitch fest it's that's um, that that that's just not happening but i just felt that the remake was just not good at all not that it even had to be remade because it didn't like i said the original still holds up and i'm gonna get to that as well um but yeah i haven't seen it since that one and only time when it opened up in theaters october 2005 I went and saw it I can't even tell you who I saw with what theater I went to and usually I'm good at that kind of stuff my memory's good like that but for this movie I just don't care <laughs> I can't tell you where I saw it I can't even tell you if I saw it that week or if I didn't just wait until later on after it came out I don't know I, I've, I, what is it now I've, I've been talking about the remake for almost four minutes now that's that's three and a half minutes too long um yeah so talking about the fog's legacy after 40 years 40 years of the fog the fog's lingering legacy 40 years of terror that's what i'm gonna call this part yeah i like that yo oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah um Like I said, the cast of this movie is incredible looking back on it today. You've got Adrian Barbo, Tom Atkins, Jamie Lee Curtis, Hal Holbrook, Janet Lee, Charles Cyphers, even John Carpenter himself makes a cameo. I mean, that is a pretty big billing for a low-rent 80s horror film that... Especially the inclusion of Jamie Lee Curtis. I mean, good thing she's as close to uh, to Deborah and John as she was because, yeah, that wouldn't be happening for anyone else. <laughs> Tell you that right now, especially even it's one thing to look at this cast on paper. It's another thing to look at the budget and how he was able to secure a cast like this. And the effects, throw in all the... Because the effects in this film are all practical. This is old school stuff. So, it, it just... it It's amazing to me. So amazing to me. How for a little 
such little amount of money, he was able to secure so many big names. Uh, you know, it's that's another reason, one of the many reasons, why filmmakers like John Carpenter, they are who they are for good reasons, and they, they the movies, these are just reasons why. These are one of the many reasons why. Outside of that, um, it, it's just the effects. Just so much about this movie still holds up. Look, I can watch this movie. I have recently watched this movie pretty much back to back. So for me to say something that I was about to say, like I can watch this movie over and over, well, well yeah, I, I've already pretty much done that recently, especially in anticipation for this episode, building up for it. Not that I haven't seen this movie on my own enough. I, I have, but I watched it, I'm not going to lie, twice to to do this. I watched all the bonus features. I even watched a couple YouTube uh, documentaries. Um, that's the one thing I wish that this the I could watch. This, this film lacks, like, a definitive full-length documentary the way a lot of movies have. I feel like this movie, that's the one thing that, that I wish this movie had. And hey, it still could. So, uh, other than that, it's there's just so much that I can just talk about in this movie. From... You don't see just the way the film was shot, the way. <sighs> why well, I, I take eighties whole. That's why I take film films like this and just. I hold them to such high regard, because it's just a craft of filmmaking you don't see anymore, and even the acting. Um, I'm sure these people weren't getting paid top dollar. But they were just excited to be in a movie like this. And it was the 80s. They were excited to be in a horror movie at all. Especially a, a, a production company movie. A big budget movie, film like this. Not that this was really big budget. But you know what I mean. You got a big name car, a filmmaker like John Carpenter. And you, even though this was only his, what, third film? Like theatrical, because I think his first, no, fourth. Dark Fate film, uh, I saw it from Precinct 13. Yeah, fourth. <clears throat> um, wow, I kind of like lost track of where I was going with this. All right, so let's wrap this up. The body count for this movie, six. Because, you know, six must die. My unbiased MVP pick. It's going to Dean Cundy. Dean Cundy and his cinematography. I, I can't praise the man enough. And I I spent a lot of this podcast already just really hyping that guy up. So, yeah, why not? That's now. Dean Cundy is definitely my, when I, when I watch this movie, I'm just wowed by his shots. Um, especially those, those, those shoreline shots, like I keep saying. And the, uh, the fog shots, the glowing fog shots from the distance uh, when they're out in the boat and beginning the three guys, there's just some glowing eerie shots of the fog. Um, it, it, it just, it, and it's all practical. Yeah, Dean, Dean, yeah, you it. 
my be kind rewind moment for this movie um, is the lighthouse finale. Something that I talked about way back at the start of the episode with uh, Adrian Barbo and her character and how that was added in reshoots. Thank God it was because that I, that's my favorite, most rewatchable f- part by far in this movie. That was one of a few scenes that always stuck out when I think of the fog. That that shot, you know, especially of her at the top, trying to get to the very top center of it, and then her sliding down, back down towards the ladder, um, after of course getting hooked in the shoulder by uh, one of the pirates' hooks, and then yeah, just her sliding down towards the other pirate that's climbing up the ladder. It's just freaked me out, scared the crap out of me when I was a kid, and even today as a grown up watching it, I'm just like, I, I gotta get it, get it, get it, because even though you know it's gonna happen, it's one of those things. It's it's just, ah, uh, love horror. Uh, my double feature pairing, um, I'm going with the birds, and I say that because earlier I mentioned that this was filmed in the same town as the birds. A lot of those uh, windy road shots of Stevie Wayne going to the job, going to the uh, KAB, um, lighthouse it's it's that that shot that that drive it's it it's a mirror to hitchcock's the birds um that town um bodega bay and why not something you put the two together and yeah go that's mine star power yeah, I give this movie four and a half stars. Um, there's just so much going for it that I love that I've already talked about. I've just spent the, the better part of 35, 40 minutes gushing over it. Um, so to those people who are still with us here, I thank you. <laughs> now, before I announce the next two episodes, I want to remind listeners that they can listen to former episodes on iTunes, Spotify, Google, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Breaker, Stitcher, and wherever else you enjoy your favorite podcasts. You can follow us on Facebook.com at Mad Dad Movie Review, Instagram.com at Mad Dad Movie Review, YouTube.com at Mad Dad Movie Review, Twitter.com at Mad Dad Movie Pod, and you can email any questions, comments, or requests to Mad Dad Movie Review at gmail.com. Um, next episode coming to us on Wednesday. Yeah, Wednesday. That soon. I'm going to be covering one of, if, yeah, it's my favorite horror film of all time. So, second spoiler alert for the top 10. Yeah, this one's my all time favorite. Um, I know Marilyn has seen it in the past. She's not a big fan of it. So,. I figured, while well, I can, I'm going to sneak this one in. And it's Return of the Living Dead from 1985, 35th anniversary. One of my favorites. No, I'm sorry. It is my favorite. And that's what I'm going to be doing. So this Wednesday, Wednesday morning, 6 a.m., Return of the Living Dead. And then on Friday, I'm going to be doing Pet Cemetery, the original Pet Cemetery, not that last year remake bullshit. I'm going to be doing the OG original film. Um, I think that film still holds up. I think the people that give me shit for liking it, I think they can suck it because it is a damn good horror film 
that I think holds up and I think is still in its own sense, its own right, scary. Um, come at me. I'm sorry. I think Pet Cemetery is scary. Um, so yeah, I, I got nothing else to add. Like I said, you know, it's only for a couple weeks. It's, it's going to be me running this thing by myself. Um, maybe I'll have a special guest coming up, but as of now, I have no one lined up. So until then, it's just me. It's just a couple of weeks. Mads will be back before you know it. Nothing's wrong. She's not quitting the show. It's just, you know, I wanted to keep this going. I wanted to have some fun. And to the people who are, we at least owe it to the people who are A, expecting episodes and B, subscribe to us. So yeah, thank you guys for listening. If you're still listening to this episode and I haven't bored you to death yet or pissed you off, Thank you, thank you, thank you. It sincerely, truly, genuinely means a lot to me. Um, I will see you guys next with Return of the Living Dead. And yeah, you guys take care. Check you later.